0: Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. In, in worship, when I was looking around and I felt the, the Holy Spirit saying to me that Jesus had 12 disciples and there were 120 people in the upper room on the day the Holy Spirit fell. And the course of history for time eternal has been irrevocably changed by that group of people. There's a lot more than that seated here this morning. Just imagine what we're going to do. Just imagine what we can do. The potential that exists in this room right here, right now, is beyond our collective comprehension. It's beyond our collective dreaming. It's beyond our collective hoping. Because the DNA of Christ is in every single one of us and the potential is unlimited. And I'm excited because I firmly believe that that potential is being unlocked. And I love the words that came through during worship today, the announcement that Daniel just made right now because if you've been around this, this house for a while and Julian Adams was here a little while ago, there's this real sense in the spirit that We've done really, really well to grasp what being family is. And we do family well. And you heard that when people were sharing earlier today. We've done really, really well to debunk those ideas about the prophetic being weird and wonderful. And we have a culture here in this house where people are okay with getting prophetic words for others and sharing. And there's a flow of that kind of information uh, of of, of the prophetic that happens here, which is beautiful. Um, There's been a real grabbing hold of the fact that healing is for now and for everyone. And John and his team have been pioneering incredible stuff in that. But I really believe that it's now for us to grab hold and debunk the myths around what evangelism looks like and is. And for us to have the realization that all of us are in fact evangelists. Can I do a little exercise with everyone here quickly? Can I just ask everyone that would consider themselves as being saved to please stand Okay. If you got saved at a massive tent crusade, can you sit down? If you got saved by a random stranger walking up to you and leading you to Christ, can you sit down? Okay. So why when we preach on the topic of evangelism and we encourage people to step out and spread the gospel, they all think they have to lead tent crusades and approach random strangers on the street out of fear and give them words of knowledge where maybe 0.1% of people that get led to Christ get led to Christ that way? Can you sit You see, there's something weird that happens when we talk about the gospel. There's something weird that happens when we talk about spreading the good news where that immediate disqualification comes on us. Ooh, not for me, not for me, not for me. Thank God for people with the gift of evangelism. That's not my gift. I hope that little exercise we did now just opened your eyes a bit to how big of a lie that really is. It's the little acts. It's the little things. It's the way we live our lives. It's the things we do that have an impact on those around us. And then there is a combination of those little things, those words, those encouragements, the way people around them have treated them. we with the working of the Holy Spirit that brings people to this incredible place of knowing Jesus as their, their Lord and Savior. You, you see... All we really need is we need to believe that what we have here as a family, as Hillside, is worth giving to others. All we need is to believe that the free gift of salvation that we've been giving, been given is something that is worth others being given as well. And I think we have that. And I think we have that in abundance. Outside of that, all we need is a little bit of will and desire to make ourselves available to be used by the Holy Spirit and by God in people's journeys. Does that make a bit of of sense? And I come back to what I said earlier, 12 disciples, 120 in the upper room. And all of history was changed for time eternal. Same God, same Jesus, same Holy Spirit, and all of us? The potential is beyond comprehension. I had a revelation this week of how much this means to me because I'd forgotten. <laughs> So while I was preparing this message and while I was making notes, I just realized that there was so much on my heart and in my spirit about the gospel and about sharing the gospel and about seeing people set free and about seeing people have that encounter when they just realize who Jesus is and what he's done for their lives. There is so much. But I've kind of allowed myself to become a a classic character in the Matthew 13 parable of the sower. Um, you know the one with the stresses of the world, Uh, you can cast me in that role. Because when I came to Christ, there was just such a love for Jesus and what he had done for me because my life went from night to day, from dark to light that I didn't wake up in the morning and think, do I want to share the gospel with people? If my mouth opened, I shared the gospel because he is all that mattered to me. He was all that was on my mind. He was all I wanted to talk about. So whatever your agenda was in striking up a conversation with me, i was going to find a way naturally to have that conversation turned around to be about how good jesus really is but that feeling of love that that emotion it's like in any relationship I think people who have been married for a very, very long time with the same partner and have wrestled through things, you have this understanding that there's that excitement in any new relationship, then there is that finding each other and working through, and then there is a real depth of relationship. That becomes strong and unshakable. And that is so much more beautiful than just those early butterflies at the beginning because it's real. It's got weight and it's got substance. And I find with us in our journey with God, we also follow this journey where we have the butterflies and the excitement. And of course we want the butterflies and excitement forever. But we grow and we mature and we actually get to a place in our relationship with Jesus that's so much greater than the butterflies and the excitement because there's this depth and this weight and this substance and this beautiful relationship that can't be rocked. But like a lot of our walk in life and a lot of our walk with Christ, the real challenge is how well do we navigate the in-between space? Because a lot of what we do happens in the in-between space. And early in my walk for the first couple of uh, of years, I think people around me, people around my wife, people around us as a family would have seen us as being very evangelical. We were always out and about. We were always on the streets. We were always ministering. And that's fantastic. Full stop. It's fantastic. There isn't a but. It's fantastic. I can now own, though, that after that initial phase where everything was about how wonderful God is and I couldn't help myself but share, share, I went into a couple of years where the sharing I was doing was out of legalism, out of duty, and out of obligation. There was a sense in me that the more notches I had on my belt, the better God would feel about me. The scripture that kept me up at night was in Ezekiel 33 um, verses eight to 10 where uh, God's speaking to Ezekiel and fundamentally what he said is, if I see people going down a, a, a path of destruction and I show this to you, if you go and share what I show you with them and they reject you, you've done your bit, and the issue lies between me and them. But if I show you what's going on and people are going down a path of destruction and you don't go and share with them and they fall into that destruction, then I'm going to hold you accountable. So I witnessed to everyone, not because I had this compassionate heart, and love and desire to see them saved and set free. I just didn't want to be held responsible for them not getting saved. Then there was a beautiful transition where the revelation. Of grace, the revelation of how much God loves people. You know, we 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 we, we, we all know this. One Corinthians um one thirteen etc. Um, and the context that it's in, God speaks about all the gifts and the offices etc. But fundamentally, what he says if 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 we don't do this out of a pure motivation of love, then what we're doing doesn't really matter. We, you you understand that you have the revelation of John 3:16 where what god did what jesus did is because god so loved the world the problem i had is i then went into a time of doing analysis paralysis and i began to question my motivation in reaching the lost so what happened I stopped reaching the lost. It took (laughs) Philippians 1 verse 12 to 8 where Paul speaks about his imprisonment and how people are taking advantage of his imprisonment and how people are going out and, and sharing the gospel and there are many people that are sharing the gospel but they're not sharing the gospel out of a pure heart and Paul says and that's fantastic because the gospel is being shared and people are being saved so why do I piece together this for you is my nature and my DNA is to share the gospel and to see people set free and if I'm going to wait until I'm in that time and space in my life where I've got all my ducks in a a row where I can stand with all honesty and security and say that I know my drive and my motivation so I can now therefore go out, wow. I'll never do anything. I will never step out my house. I will always be questioning my motives. You see, we encounter Christ and we receive everything that he's done for us. We then go through a process of appropriating everything that the free gift of salvation has given us. And we are growing and we are maturing all the time. But we live 99.9% of our lives in the in-between space. And in the in-between space, warts and all, sickness and disease, issues and problems, we still carry the fullness of who Christ is in us we still carry what everyone else in the world needs to receive there is no such thing as an evangelist in training the moment you were saved you received all of the Holy Spirit you are not going to receive more of him later you might grow in knowing how to work and partner with them more effectively. But if you've been saved for half a second, you have something that the rest of the world desperately needs. And there's that lie of the enemy that says, I'm never going to lead mass crusades. I'm never going to be able to to go to random strangers and lead them to Christ. So I am not an evangelist. But that exercise that we just did, I might have missed someone. But from what I saw is 100% of the people here were not saved at a mass crusade and were not saved through someone facing their fears and approaching them randomly on the street. So maybe, just maybe, what it means to spread the gospel and what it means to be an evangelist is a little bit different than the lie we've believed it is. Are you with me on this point? So what I'd like you to do is just take a moment. I'm okay with a bit of uncomfortable silence. And just think about all the people that have played a part in your life, in you getting from where you were to where you are now. For you giving your life to Christ, which is where everything opens up for you, and then those who have discipled you since and helped you to grow and nurture that. Can you give some thought to that? Can you take just a minute or two? I'm trusting that there'll be a name or a face or two that will pop up. And then the question I want you to ask yourself is can you be them to someone else? And what I want to encourage you to do is it's an exercise I've been doing lately and it's been very, very powerful for me, is I've been honoring all those people who played that part in my life. And I can't think of many of them that I would categorize and place in that box called an evangelist that i had believed it to be. And that's really what I wanted to do today is to honor some of those people that played that part in my life. And then just to give some really practical ideas of how we can all be more effective in spreading the gospel and being that light and truth to others. Is that good? I know this list isn't, Exhaustive, and I know there's people I would have forgotten, but I was just really think, um, thinking through the sequence. I really wanted to honour the Sunday school teachers when I went to Sunday school as a as a kid. As a family, we went to church out of pure ritual and obligation. I truthfully can't say that there was this sense of salvation and knowing who Christ is, but we went out of duty and obligation. Yet, in going out of duty and obligation, I encountered people that carried something of Christ that planted seeds in my life. (laughs) And it's weird how you can get emotional about little things, but I realized that I was at Sunday school the one day And I was a wild and woolly young boy, and I wasn't listening to the Sunday school teacher. So I jumped on the rocking horse and decided it was going to be a bronching buck at the rodeo. And I rode that um, rocking horse rather violently, and it shattered into all sorts of, of pieces. And at that moment, the enemy said to me that they're never, ever going to want you to come back here to this place because of how naughty and how wild you were. And I haven't thought of that incident for 40 years. But the way I was welcomed back the next Sunday, irrespective of what I had done the Sunday before, is one of the keys in my journey of salvation. So I can't even remember the names of the people from them. But I just felt this week to pray and just to say, Dad, please, just honor those who played that role. Can you be forgiveness in someone's life? <laughs> also, you know, we organize these things during school holidays and people wonder why do we worry with these school programs, etc. But I went to a, a church camp at a Methodist church Because it was down the road from my house, I didn't feel any prompting of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't trying to find God. I was bored. It was school holidays. I was 12 years old. I had nothing else to do. And I knew all my friends were going to be going to this camp at that church. It wasn't the church we were members of as a a family. So I went so that I could play and have things to do. At the end of that week, I had the greatest encounter with God and with heaven and with the Holy Spirit that to date I've ever had in my life. I don't know if any one of those people that organized that camp, that put together the program, that gave up of their time, have any idea what I encountered there. But without them facilitating that, I would not have encountered what I did. The enemy is very good. Wonderful word that uh, Sherry shared. of Because we don't see immediate fruit in our actions, we believe they were a waste of time. What a lie. What what a lie. Probably the person who over the years I've realized had the biggest part to play in my salvation was my grandfather on my father's side, a man by the name of, of Grandpa Murray. And I think I had two conversations with him about the gospel. That's all. But I learned over the years that he spent hour upon hour upon hour in his prayer closet, praying for every single family member, and his prayer closet looked a bit like the room. Um, what's that movie? Um, the, the Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, and we had all these notes all over these walls. That's what my granddad's prayer closet looked like with all the family members and plans and strategies and this, that, and and the other. And as a young rebellious boy, I knew he was praying for the whole family. And that used to be the fuel for my insults and belittling and criticism of him. Because what a fool. (laughs) And I'll never forget the one time I, I, I was about 16, 17 years old. I was a wildly, re- I, don't, I say wildly rebellious? No, I wasn't. I was Jekyll and Hyde. I was a captain of all the teams at school. I was a prefect. I was an A student. And then there was the other side, which was dark and broken. And so I was kind of that top student, but all my best friends were the guys that had been expelled. That's what my life Looked like. And I saw myself as being very rebellious. And one of the conversations I had about the gospel with my grandpa Murray was in his his prayer room. And the front wall, full of notes and diagrams. The right wall, less notes and diagrams. And the left wall, one picture, was a picture of me with the Nike swoosh. And I said, Grandad, I knew what the wall was about, but I was just being facetious. I wanted an argument. I wanted to, what's this all about? Why do you waste your time in here? Blah, blah, blah. And he started explaining, no, I'm praying and God's showing me this and that. So I said, okay, grandpa, why am I on that wall all by myself? And he looked at me and he laughed. He says, oh, no, no, I stopped praying for you a long time ago. So the rebellious spirit in me loved that and said but of course you did he said oh no no sorry Graham I didn't explain properly the first time I prayed for you God told me you going into the ministry so I'm worried about the others now <laughs> Grandpa Murray didn't die with me being saved when Grandpa Murray died I was a practicing Hare Krishna he did not see the fruit to his hours of work. Yet, he had an assurance of my salvation that Christ had given him, which my father shared with me years later. My dad said when I was running around in my saffron um, nappy and (laughs) clicking my bells, he had many conversations with Grandpa Murray about how lost Graham was and what he must do. And Grandpa Murray said to my dad, he said, no, leave him alone. My dad said, how can I leave him alone? He's going down a path of destruction. And Grandpa Murray said, right now where he is in the path, if you challenge him, he will turn further from you. But God showed me that he really is seeking after God. And right now in his seeking after God, he might be in a weird place. But if you seek God, you will find God because God wants to be found. So why am I sharing this? I've got members of my family that I am praying for that I see less than zero fruit. Does that mean I stop praying because my prayers are a waste of time? No, it doesn't. The lie that you're not an evangelist is a lie from the pits of, of hell because you carry the Holy Spirit in you. And as we had the revelation regarding healing, unless you got that part of the Holy Spirit that doesn't want to see others saved, you're an evangelist. So deal with it. Overcome your fears and issues. And... It's like when someone tells you, I'm not a passionate person, I, 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 I'm not very outspoken. You slam their, their finger in a car door, they're passionate. We're all passionate, we just don't always know what the triggers are to unlock that um, <laughs> time. That, <laughs> that passion. The, the, the treasure hunting idea, incredibly powerful. Another person who played an incredible role in my life, and I've shared this many times here, doesn't even remember the interaction we had. I was walking into a supermarket, they were work, walking out of the supermarket. We hadn't seen each other in 20-odd years. He turned to me and said, Graham, if you can get your head around the truth of who Jesus is, it will change everything for you. And off he walked. He doesn't remember that encounter. Yet three years later, when the Holy Spirit had finally won, (laughs) in his wrestle with me (laughs) and I realized that I had nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide and this Jesus that had been pursuing me forever I needed to find him the first person I tracked down was that guy we ended up planting a church together We ended up serving on a team together for 10 years. We've got a relationship and a friendship which continues today, and we're in touch every couple of months, touching in with each other, sharing insights that God's given us. And that was birthed by a throwaway comment. And I want to encourage the guys that are going out. It's incredible. And over the years, I don't know. I've tried every tool there. I've tried the tracts, and I've tried treasure runs and I've tried words of knowledge and quite frankly God's used them all. I mean I've read from a piece of paper verbatim to someone because I was too scared and I didn't know what to say of my heart and they gave their life to Christ. I don't know how that works but I guess if God can communicate through a donkey or whatever, he can use whatever we give him, right? But if we give him nothing, he can't Do nothing with nothing. God didn't multiply the nothing that the boy brought him. He multiplied the the something. And we so much want to have the perfect that we give the nothing. Most powerful tool ever is just to say, Jesus loves you and has an incredible plan for your life. That sentence... I've seen more people's lives unlocked by that one sentence than by anything else that I've done and, and that, that, that I've shared. There was another young guy um, by the name of Richard Stratford who I was at um, university with. And if I was rebellious at the ages of 16 and 17, whew, add five, six, seven years on top of that high it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't pretty. And um, yeah, no. Richard came to me and asked me if him and his home cell could pray for me. I said, "What, Yaron?" Now he said, "No, no, no. We are going to pray to God for your salvation." But I don't want to force my desire for you onto you. I want your permission to allow... I don't even know why he had that conversation with me. Still today, but I remember the conversation. And I said, please, go ahead. I regretted that when on Friday nights he brought his whole worship team and they stood outside my front door worshiping. (laughs) And I did let him know (laughs) that I was not happy with what he was doing. In fact, I was so aggressive and abusive towards that man that I learned, I found out a few years later that he went for counseling because of what he (laughs) suffered at my hands. And I had the wonderful opportunity to restore relationship with him because I was leading a crusade in Cape Town with people getting saved and the Holy Spirit moving, and he had fallen away from God in his walk. And he came walking into that meeting and sat down in the front row and then saw the person that was the reason for him going to counseling, (laughs) leading the meeting, and his life got turned around. He was so desperate to see me saved that he would climb onto the roof of the building I stayed in. He figured out where my bedroom was and he drew an outline of the bed on the roof. And he would lie there praying and interceding. I'm so thankful he did. I'm so grateful that he did. And at least he had the opportunity to see The the fruit, but he told me he thought he was losing his mind. He's not someone who does those things. You but he just had a desire. God had placed a desire to see me saved on his heart, and he did everything he knew how to do. Daphne will share her, her testimony sometime, but she has these people in her lives as well. And I know the one lady, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit will make a way, that Daphne would like to meet is um, she used to go and have breakfast and lunch. um, Story might be a bit off, but at at the same place every single day. She was working for a, a, a record company as a graphic designer, designing their labels and this, that, and the other. And she would have breakfast and lunch at the same place every single day. But at the stage she was in her life, her breakfasts included tequilas and her lunch, uh, included Zambukas and this, that, and the other. And very often when she was there, there was this one elderly lady who used to like to eat her meal there, would also come to Daphne and say, can I pray for you? And would stand there and pray and, and minister and say these things over Daphne's life. And she was fairly similar to me in the way, the level of disrespect in which she treated this lady. But I know that Daphne would love to meet that lady now. To say thank you. If you've been saved for half a second, as I said earlier, you have something that the rest of the world needs to hear. Fact: the most powerful evangelists I've ever seen have been the people who have just gotten saved. In fact, um, we used to, as a strategy when someone got got saved in the church and in the community, within the first two to three weeks, we would ask them to share their testimony and we'd have an evening in which they could invite their friends and family to come along, have them share their testimony, and that's all we did. But we saw so many people get saved through that because they know this person. They've walked a walk with them. They've seen that transition. Why am I sharing this with you? I've looked at the things we've done over the years, myself and Daphne and and, and the people we've seen come to Christ. And I'm surprised by how much we've done because I don't remember doing that much until I put it down. But the point I'm wanting to make is do something. So if you can host a dinner for someone who's newly saved so that they can share how excited they are about their salvation with friends and family, you might never lead a tent crusade. You might never approach random strangers on the street, although I'd love to see everyone challenge their chicken line, but maybe you can host a, a dinner. I did an email of my full testimony, warts and all, the things that happened to me as a kid and how I found, and I sent it to every single email address on my contact list. Friends, family, work colleagues, the rest. I regretted it the second I pressed send, (laughs) but I had no way of stopping it from going out. Don't you love the internet for that reason? (laughs) I couldn't change my mind. It was too late, that went out everywhere. There was fruit in response from that. Of course, we did street ministry, and it's powerful to have someone going about their day to day life and to be interrupted with the truth of who Jesus is, is mind-blowing. Hence my story from the spa supermarket. And that's why I am a big fan of crossing your ticket line and stepping out and reaching out and words of knowledge and treasure hunts. It's incredible what God can do with that. Because it comes back to the same principle. God can multiply what you give him. But nothing multiplied by anything equals nothing. So stop thinking about what it is that you can't do and start to think more about what it is that you can do. We used to witness in in, in this one um, township fairly regularly, and we saw some fruit. But what used to happen in this township was when heavy rains came, a lot of the houses would wash away and flood away, and this was a regular occurrence. So we started just building very small cement block foundations that people could put their shanties on and secure it to that. So when the rain came, they didn't wash away because there was a secure base. We saw far more people getting saved through us doing that than we saw through just the sharing of the, of the gospel. And that action in that township then resulted in us sponsoring a couple to start a creche in the township. Why did we start the, the creche in the township? Because of the horror stories which we had heard from the people there about how mom and dad have to go and work every day. And they don't have a, a safe place so yet again I might never be Billy Graham but I might be fairly good with a hammer and a nail and I can build a jungle gym you, you, you understand this isn't a neat list it's not in sequence it's just things I, I remember the outreaches. I wrote down restaurant healing booths. You go to a restaurant to have a cup of coffee. You ask your waitress, is there any member of staff there that is sick or has a pain in their body or is injured because you would like to pray for them? It's not that hard to say that to a waiter or a waitress. I promise you it's not that, that hard. But the pattern that unfolded thereafter was the same every single time. They ignore you. You hear people gathering in little groups, chit-chatting and looking at you, and no one says nothing. And then people who don't work front of house appear front of house. So the person who's in the kitchen that's never out suddenly finds a reason to come out into the front of house to do something because they're trying to check out who these nutty people are. And then one person comes to you and they're kind of packing up and they say, I've got a bit of a pain in my shoulder, you know. (laughs) Fast forward half an hour and we were at a spur in Malkbour Strunt in Cape Town and we counted there was a queue of thirty people. It's not that hard to do, but it's effective public worship drums tambourine guitar worship <laughs> spirit of god is there it attracts people seen people weeping wailing giving their lives to christ getting healed just by doing public worship handouts we had a guy who passed through our school of ministry here and had his entire life transformed because we handed out free cool drinks at the waterfall parking lot and he was someone who got a free cool drink. There's this perception in the world of the church wants, but the church doesn't want to give. So we tried to break that by setting up a Borevos roll stand somewhere And the bourrevos was free and the cool drink was free. And what do you think people do when you offer them something for free? They're suspicious. (laughs) But if they want that bourrevos roll that's free and if they want that cool drink that's for free, they'll come up and say, but why are you doing this? Well, Jesus... Love for you is free, so we're trying to find a practical way to express that it's free. So, here, yeah. that spiraled into something incredible. And we had groups of students going around in complexes, um, knocking on people's doors, offering free car washes. But why? We had handymen going around with belts on, knocking on people's doors saying, do you have any repairs that need to be done in your house? Because we would like to do those for you for free. We saw more salvations through those actions than any crusade that could have been organized. Probably to date, I think the most successful Evangelism exercise we did is we went to a complex like many of the complexes here, pick one where they've got the flats and the houses and a bit of the mixture in the in in the accommodation. And we we put together in those days a DVD where we had three or four people from our church share their um, their testimonies. And we tried to pick a wide range in terms of age and background and stories, a salvation story from. Dark to light and a salvation story of this is how I grew up and was raised. You know, so you've got that spectrum. One or two worship songs and we went around and we put one of those CDs in every single post box. With an invitation to a dinner in one of the apartments the following week, Wednesday. That exercise resulted in three home groups being birthed in that complex and we were talking about it the other day, I'm aware of three church plants that happened out of those home groups. You, please, I'm not saying do this, but I'm saying challenge what you think being an evangelist or a, or a witness is. I call that a doctor complex. Healing always works. Words of knowledge always works. But I come back to the free things. Yes, I've seen so much fruit out of free things. I've gone to random strangers and given them money. Every time I've done that, they've asked me, what church are you from? They've associated me giving them money with something. I don't know, but it opens up a, a conversation. One of my favorite stories is I had a, a birthday a few years ago, and um, What I did is I invited everyone I knew and I encouraged them. In fact, I was quite rude. I said, please look at your budget, see how much money you can spend on a on a gift, then at least double that, because I'm worth at least double that. And I did and I did that jokingly, but I was persistent. And the gifts people came to that birthday party with were unbelievable. And we had the food and the drinks and everything. I said, before we do this, we're now going to take those gifts you bought, and we're going to go out into town, and I want you to give them away to total strangers. The most powerful story was the guy we had church planted with owned a couple of businesses. He was involved in a legal action regarding one of the businesses with the guy, and the situation had gotten ugly, really ugly. So there was court issue, this, that going on. He decided to buy me the best toolbox that money could buy. I'm talking a couple of K in terms of the toolbox and the tools and everything that comes with it and this, that, and the other. So he was quite offended by the idea that he had to now give this away to some random stranger where he had put so much thought into the fact that, but because this is my heart, because this is Daphne's heart, he's going to do that. So, but he didn't want to go far, so he just went to my next-door neighbor's house, knocked on his door. And who opened the door? The guy that he's in a legal dispute with. They looked at each other. There was that silence. He almost ran away, and he said, no, because he knows our heart. He says, sorry, I didn't know you stayed here. Please don't read anything in, but this is what we are doing, and this is yours. And that entire dispute got settled through that, through just giving someone a a gift, some of the ideas I'm looking at right now is we like to go to this Chinese place just around the corner and, they, they, and they've got these lovely fortune cookies. I, 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 I'm kind of toying with the idea of scripture cookies. Surely the baker's here can bake a muffin that goes with a little word of knowledge that you give out to people for. I don't know. Letters, poems, art. What is it that you enjoy doing? How do you infuse that with the the kingdom and risk a little bit for God to work with that? Are you with me? That's what I'm wanting to put out there. And then, be head over heels in love with Jesus and let that leak everywhere. Uh Saw a wonderful example of it fairly recently. There's a a television program called um, America's Got Talent. That's what it's called. And I, I know the the backstory, but the guy on America's Got Talent didn't publicize his backstory so he was, he was very private but the backstory of this guy is he used to be a member of the um, um, United Pursuit Band he used to sing with them he now works as a nurse that specializes in dealing with pediatric mentally and physically disabled kids that's what he's poured his life into into doing. He has two kids of his own. He has four adopted kids, which are the worst of the worst in terms of their physical and mental conditions. In, and no one else would, would take them. He didn't publicize this. So he wasn't trying to sell a, a soppy story. He was just being himself. But he had realized that he wanted to show his kids that you need to have dreams and you need to pursue your dreams. So purely as an action to show his kids what going after your dreams looks like, he entered this competition, um, America's Got Talent. Um, he received some prophetic words about, from, from some people about actually um, doing this. And um, when the, his first audition aired, the company that produces the program, is, I think it's NBC, and their logo is um, two peacocks standing back to back. So he invited a lot of his friends so they could come around and watch his audition and they set out all these food and snacks and as the guests were arriving, two peacocks came flying into their lounge and messed the whole place up. So what was clear through all of this journey is that his entering into this competition was part of a bigger plan that, uh, that God had. He never used that platform to witness. He didn't speak about his faith. He just sang his songs and did his thing. But in the second round, he sang a song. I don't even know what the song was. I didn't recognize it. And he sang nicely, but he just carries something with him. So like they do in these shows, the person performs, and then they turn to the judges. And the judge's jobs, quite frankly, is to really ridicule the person and make them look as foolish as possible. And that's kind of how it works So they turn to the judges, and not one of them says a word. (laughs) And all of them are in tears. And they don't know why they're in tears. And the judge, who's Simon Cowell, who's the strictest, and he's got the worst reputation for being the rudest, he says, I don't know what's happening here, but you've got something. One of the other judges, who came out after the fact, he's he's battling all sorts of addictions and issues and this, that, and the other, and she's now getting treatment for that, which I really believe is directly linked to the encounter, says, the world needs more men like you. (laughs) You don't have to fill a stadium with 100,000 people, although if you can, and that's your passion, and you burning with that. Oh boy, please do. I'll be there. I'll come. I'll help. You don't have to do things that are so out of your comfort zone that they terrify you. You just need to intentionally and authentically be more of you and leak him everywhere You go. So when you think about the idea of evangelism, when that whole list of reasons and things why you can't do all these things comes up, write them down if you want to so it gets them out of your head, and then throw them away. And then think of what it is that you really can do right here, right now, where you are amongst your circle of friends and colleagues then remind yourself that it was little acts of love and kindness from a number of people in your life that got you here. Maybe it was the big tele-evangelist, and that's fantastic because God uses them. Maybe it was a a, a random stranger with a word of, of knowledge, but more often than not, it was acts of kindness, a word here, a something of heaven there that all brought you to this place and surely we can all do that? It's not a condemnation thing at all for myself to say that when I look at the last six years and I see how stresses around work and finances and being a good husband and being a good father and all the things that are important has allowed me to really lose a bit of that passion and excitement for the lost being found, for the captives being set free. And it's not like God's hasn't given me hints along the way. In fact, I went through a, a season where I was so busy work-wise and I was feeling so much stress that I went out onto the streets to witness purely because I wanted to be doing something other than having to deal with work stress. That was my motivation. So my motivation was I have to get out the the office and this work environment I'm in, there's so much stress and pressure and this, that and the other. What's the most opposite to this that I can do? I think to go out and just randomly witness to people. And on three occasions in three months, I was praying for a guy's leg to get healed. I was witnessing to someone. While I was busy with that, a message came through on my phone And every single time, it was the largest deal in the company I work for's history that just got confirmed. Not while I was stressing behind my computer, while I was in a parking lot holding some stranger's feet in my hands, trusting that they're going to grow. Do you think I noticed those? Mm Mm-mm. I went straight back to the stress and straight back to, to the work. So why do I say that? I'm not some world-famous tele-evangelist standing here in front of you telling you to be more like me. I'm me. <laughs> I'm battling. I'm struggling. I want to be doing so much more than what I am currently doing so I want to challenge myself and in so doing I want to challenge you a bit more and I'd like you to challenge me a little bit more not to be who we're not although there are times for challenging our fears and stepping out of our comfort zones but how to just be that version of you as you are right now that leaks the gospel to everyone everywhere you go then that comes back to what I said during worship the potential in here is beyond understanding and comprehension. And my prayer for all of us is that creative ideas will come to us, that opportunities will come to us. Give what you can and entrust God to multiply. Don't do nothing because you feel you've got nothing to give because that's just not the truth And then let's hear. Let's hear some testimonies. Let's hear some stories. Let's see what God's doing. Because I'm excited about this journey that we're in. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.